I was watching a YouTube video a few weeks ago, and the the guy was doing something that I just found odd. Now, this person, I honestly, I even forget who it was now. He was a professional. He makes a lot of products, sells a lot of products online. But what he was doing, he had just received a load of lumber. I don't know if this was delivered or if he had gone and picked this up. It was a whole bunch of like eight-quarter maple, eight, maybe ten inches wide, and they were bucked into about four-foot lengths. And he was running all of these over a joiner. That's not an uncommon practice for woodworkers, but what he then did is cut those planks into much smaller pieces. And he he was making these little items, uh, craft items. But he just seemed to be doing a lot of work that he could have gotten someone else to do. And I see this in a lot of videos. So that got me thinking... What do professional woodworkers do that amateurs, DIYers do not do? Or even professionals who might be new into this this career, this trade. So that's what we're going to talk about today. My name is Roger Kugler. This is Working at Woodworking Podcast, where I hope to encourage you to start your own woodworking business, professionally, full-time, part-time, serve your community with your woodworking skills, and make some money while you're doing it. So, these three things. Number one, buying lumber. Now, I believe I've talked about this before in a previous episode. I have no idea which one. But buying lumber is a major stumbling block for a lot of people, especially... If you are coming into this from the the hobbyist amateur ranks, because you've always bought in lumber, well, pretty much wherever you can, oftentimes this might be a big box store or maybe one of the specialty woodworking stores, Rockler, Woodcraft, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that as a hobbyist. They have what you need. It's priced high, but it's not, you know, exorbitant. But if you're doing this professionally, you can't pay retail prices for lumber and expect to turn a good profit. Honestly, I did this for probably three years or so until I finally figured out that, oh, I don't have to pay retail a hardwood lumber supplier will actually sell me at what this particular one calls business pricing. So if you're in this situation, don't feel bad. It's If you don't know better, you can't change this. So you need to find a good hardwood lumber dealer near you. If you're on the East Coast, great. If you're in the Midwest, hey, This is the golden land of maple and honey locusts. The eastern part of the United States, we have all kinds of wood. And you probably could find a half dozen lumber suppliers uh, within 
50, 100 miles, 200 miles of you if you did a little bit of, a uh, little bit of research. If you're out west, maybe the, the southwest, the west coast, it's different, but it's certainly workable. I mean, you're going to have more softwoods, conifers, spruces, firs, things like that. And, and maples, some fantastic maples, like up in the Pacific Northwest. Can you get quartersawn white oak in Arizona? Yes, absolutely. You're just going to pay a little more for that because it's got to be shipped all the way across the country. Conversely, I can't find any northern white cedar for my wood canvas canoe restoration jobs. I have to get that from Maine, and I pay for that. So wood is very regional. Fortunately, we have trucks and we have truck drivers, and they can pretty much get anything you want from any place and get it to you. It's just comes down to a matter of cost. So take advantage of what is around you. If you are, let's say, Kansas, and you want to specialize in a product that uses a wood from Maine, let's say, well, there's going to be an added cost there. Can you compete with other craftsmen in Maine who have that in their backyard? Everyone's situation is a little unique, and you just have to kind of work out what's going to work for you. And of course, when you get into the exotics, you know, ebony is very plentiful in Africa, uh, but not so much in, you know, Detroit. But then again, there's ships and there's trucks. So if you want it, you can get it. But if things are really tight, figure out what you can get cheaply that you can maximize a profit on using the woods in your local area. And if you really drill down in this, you can get some incredibly specialized woods if you have a friend or buddy who has something like a wood miser. You can cut all kinds of, you know, fruit trees that are not available commercially. And you can get some incredibly unique, incredibly interesting woods that could make your products very, very unique in the marketplace. And if you do something like that, make sure you record the story, where this came from, how old the tree probably was. Is it on the edge of a farmer's field who had been there for 125 years or something like that? People love stories, especially about wood and the products that it's made from. Another mistake with lumber that I see people making, milling. Now, this this gentleman who was joining all of that maple, he was running that through a very nice joiner. But, you know, your lumber supplier, your sawmill, has bigger machines than you do. Use theirs. And uh, admittedly, 100%, I thought you could only get rough-sawn lumber from a hardwood dealer. No, they can do all kinds of things to your lumber. And I finally figured out that if I had them playing my rough sawn lumber down to 13 sixteenths, 
I didn't have to, or three-eighths of an inch, or you could just simply ask them to skip plane your wood. And that's where they literally run it through once and turn it over and run it through again. Or they very likely may have a a double-sided planer and they just have to push it through once. The idea with a skip plane is that you can see the grain enough to make decisions as to how you're going to use that particular uh, piece of wood without taking it all the way down to an even uh, thickness. Most of the lumber that I get, I have them planted to 13 sixteenths because although their planer is bigger than mine, it doesn't necessarily do as good a job as my little lunchbox planer, but I only have to run it through once, flip it over, run it through again, I've taken a 32nd of an inch off, and it's absolutely perfect. So that saves a tremendous amount of time, particularly if you don't have a big giant planer. The other thing that I do is I ask them to straight line one edge, and they have a machine that they run this thing through, and it straight lines, cuts a perfectly straight line on one edge of the board. Why is that important? Well, I can then take that board straight to the table saw and rip it. I don't have to joint that edge as the gentleman in the YouTube video was doing. They can do that for like 10, maybe 15 cents a board foot. Much cheaper than what you can do it, if your time is worth anything at all. Okay, number two. Again, this is something that unless you've thought about it, or maybe if somebody has encouraged you to do this, you may just kind of overlooked it. You need to be buying things at wholesale or in bulk. What do woodworkers use? Sandpaper. A ton of sandpaper. And if you're still going to the big box store and picking up the 10-pack of sandpaper, wow, you have a lot more time than I do. So find a supplier, find sandpaper that you like, that you think has a good value. We're not going down that rabbit hole in this episode. But buy this in bulk, you know, 50 sheets, 100 sheets, 100 discs at a time. Finish. If you go through a lot of, I don't know, waterborne polyurethane varnish, don't buy the quartz or, God forbid, pints. You can buy that by the gallon if you're using that much material. Now, with paints and finishes and things, there, there's kind of a handling cost. What I do with, uh, with the high-cost, high-quality, marine-grade enamel paints that I use, I'll buy those by the gallon and then transfer them into a quart. Um, using something like propane or CO2 to fill the can before I seal it, that way it cuts down on the the chemical reaction with the oxygen. And the, the paint will last, well, I've never had it had problem with skimming uh, whenever I do that. If you leave it in that gallon can, guarantee you're going to have a problem with um, skinning. 
so transfer it into the smaller cans, <clears throat> and that solves that. Even with the cost of the cans, that is much less expensive than buying this at a quart at a time. Screws, the exact same thing. So you're going to be using a lot of screws probably in your business. You buy those by at least a hundred or five hundred or even thousand. Screws don't go bad. And if you're committed to this, you're going to go through those screws. Other supplies, alcohol, mineral spirits, things like that. You buy that by the gallon, not by the little pint thing that costs like $20 billion or even a quart of that. Now, whenever I'm saying all this, I know if you only use a pint of mineral spirits every 10 years, then obviously you're not going to buy a gallon of that. We, we have to use some common sense, but ask yourself, how much of this will I use in one year? Two years. If you get a 10-year supply of toilet paper, well, that may not be the best example. I mean, you're obviously protected, but there's also a cost of storage. And so you kind of have to work out, you know, the quantities that you want to carry based on your use. And in operations management, there's this, this really cool formula that you can use, but the biggest factor of that formula is simply how much will I use in a certain time period. And of course, with things like finishes and stuff, you have to do consider a shelf life uh, for those things. And I'm not really talking so much about saving money with this strategy, but rather saving time. If you're buying sandpaper, you know, 10 discs at a time, and you run out and you have to go back to the store, how many trips is that per year? So, sure, money is one part of it, but time is also money. And for a, a lot of us, the time's actually a little more important consideration than, than just the, the money. So number three, this is, I think, a really big one that is so overlooked, underappreciated, and undercapitalized. You as a professional woodworker, and I'm talking, you know, the solopreneur, you know, the one-person workshop, garage, basement, outbuilding, you have the ability to provide uncommon customer care. Let me say that again. Uncommon customer care. This, I think, even goes beyond customer service, but you are actually caring about your customers. You're going above and beyond the customer service desk at your favorite store. You can do things for your customers that others can't. Your competition. Let's take kitchen cabinets, for example. If you've ever purchased kitchen cabinets, even from a custom builder, you'll probably find that they come in increments of two inches. And if you go to a big box store or even a uh, quote-unquote custom cabinet reseller, two inches is the industrial standard. So if your counter is 98 inches long, you're in luck. 
If it's 97 and 3 8 inches long, you're screwed. Now, of course, they can drop down to 96 inches and then sell you a 2-inch filler strip that somebody else is going to have to rip down to 1 and 3 8 to make that fit. But that's not going to be the big box store. That's not going to be the cabinet reseller. That's probably going to be the cabinet installers, and they're not going to like to do that because generally that requires a table saw, and they don't carry a table saw with them on a cabinet install. So you have the ability to make these cabinets exactly 97 and 3 8 inches long. And honestly, you're the only one who can. Because even the the custom cabinet shops, emphasis on the word custom, probably is not going to like to have to change their order of operations to get this thing down to 97 and 3 eighths. The bigger the shop, the less likely or the less willing they are to do that. Smaller shops, you know, five people, yeah, they can probably do that. But they may not like it. You can jump at this opportunity and actually show your customer that you're happy to do this because that's what makes you unique. And by the way, if you're using the term custom woodworking, think about that again. I'll bet that everything you do is custom. Unless you're producing a product in which everything is, is going to be uniform, but people are calling you up, sending you emails, can you do this, can you do that, can you do, do this other thing? All of that is custom. So that's almost a, an oxymoron whenever we use that term. So don't underestimate the power that, that you have. You can do things, the, the larger shops, the, the big builders, the internet can't or won't do. And you can really take advantage of this. You're truly a specialist, like a neurosurgeon or a real estate lawyer. Well, without the like 10 or 15 years of education and training. Although, if you've been in this business for 10, 15, 20 years, you have that specialized training usually through trial and error as opposed to a formal classroom or mentorship. So don't don't sell yourself short. You really are a specialist. You're not like the people at the furniture factory, you know, down the road. This very typically plays out when someone shows you a piece of furniture or a cabinet that they took off of Pinterest or a online catalog or something. They love the piece, but it won't fit where they need it to fit. And so what do they do? Well, they reach out to a specialist who can make that fit. You are probably literally the only one who can help them with this. And, of course, you should charge them for your services accordingly. So, are you a professional? Are you acting like it? Are you doing these things that 
professionals do, your lumber source, your wholesale or bulk purchases, and treating yourself as a true woodworking specialist that you are and providing outstanding customer care to your customers. And if you take care of one customer, they are going to tell 10 people. If you don't take care of a customer and they are very unhappy with you, they will tell a 100 people. So it certainly pays to take care of your customers. And I know there's always that one person, but you kind of just have to swallow hard and, and, and plow through it. You'll learn to recognize those people as you do this more often. But honestly, they're very few and far between. And, and quite honestly, in this day and age, when there are so few of us out there, um, you know, pe- people, people are pretty desperate, you know, just to find anyone to do any of these things. So give some thought to this. Maybe you need to change some things. Maybe you can make things better, faster, easier, and hopefully more profitable. Recommendations for the week? I don't have any. Um, there's a whole bunch of YouTube videos that you could get lost in that are being done by professionals. I really admire them. I admire the time and the resources they have to produce those because videos, videos hard and it takes a lot of time that I seem to have been very, very short on of late. Uh, miss jobs, <laughs> roll top desk refinish. Yeah. I gave her a couple recommendations and said if she couldn't find anyone to do it, I might get to it next year. Um, I, I really hate to do that, but I mean, I've got priorities. Um, also had a, um, a gentleman reach out. He has a dining room table that suffered plumbing and it was a veneer table. And apparently the plumbing in the upstairs bathroom gave way and water came through, did a boatload of damage to the house. And one casualty was the dining room table that had a veneered field uh, surrounded by, by hardwood. I might get to it. He's not in a terrible hurry. Uh, if I can put him off for a few months, I might get around to doing it. But these are the type of projects that can come your way when you hang that shingle out. And if you haven't hung the shingle out, guess what? Those jobs are not going to be coming your way. So if you're sitting there thinking, I really want to do this, I really want to do this, then why don't you do it? Get off the fence and jump into the pasture with the bull. Yeah, you might have to run. You might get mauled a little bit. But hey, you know, you're the one who wants to be a professional woodworker. So let's let's do this. Boy, did I screw up. Yeah, I've got one. I'm not going to tell you about it right now because it's not fully resolved. Um, and I don't want to, you know, seed the water, so to speak. But um, I think I screwed up. I may not have. Somebody else may have screwed up. Um, the, let's just say the footprint on the box that I shipped the product in 
might have something to do with the outcome of this story. More about that later. Special thanks to listeners in Coon Rapids, Minnesota, Spruce Grove, Alberta, Canada, and the one listener in Mexico. Really appreciate that. There's affiliate links in the show notes, and if anybody would like to buy me a cup of coffee, five bucks, I would greatly appreciate it. There's also affiliate links in the show notes that you can uh, check out Taylor Tools, and if you're in the market for a new cell phone service that you can separate your business life from your personal life, follow the link in the show notes. So until next episode, happy woodworking.